Welcome to Cross Section, conversations at the intersection of faith, news and culture. Hi, I'm Jo Evans and welcome to Cross Section. This week I'm recording from an office in central London where we are having our Evangelical Alliance Advocacy Team Day, which means this week you will not hear from Danny or Alicia or Peter. Instead, we are going to travel round all four nations of the United Kingdom because our policy officers from Scotland, Northern Ireland, Wales and Westminster are all in the same room. In fact, everyone just give a little cheer. (laughs) (laughs) So rather than focusing on the big stories across the UK, we're going to deep dive and find out more about the most pressing issues locally from each nation. But before we get into that, you might remember that we conducted a listener survey last month. Thank you for submitting your answers. And I thought I'd just give you a couple of the big headlines. At the moment, our listenership is 59% non-members of the Evangelical Alliance, which that's why we keep putting those little membership pictures in where I talk about my caramel latte. We would love you to join us. Our listenership is basically 50-50 split of men and women. I see that as a great thing. And we have a real spread across the different age groups. Finally, and perhaps most poignantly for today's episode, 60% of our listeners are based in England, followed by 20% in Northern Ireland, 50% in Scotland, and just 3% in Wales. So Nathan's got a big task ahead of him today. Right, on with the show. First up we have Chris Ringland with us. I should explain, as I said, we're all in the same room, so we're gonna be moving around the room in a kind of speed dating style. But as I said, we've got Chris, our public policy officer in Scotland. Hi, Chris. Hi there, Joe, good to see you. So people might recognize Chris's voice. Chris has actually been on cross-section before and actually used to produce the podcast. Mm. So Chris, um, you're Northern Irish. Yes, I am. <laughs> I know you're already aware of that fact. But um, do you think that being Northern Irish as the public policy officer in Scotland, does that give you a different perspective? How does that help you, do you think, in your role? Um, yeah, hopefully it does help. Um, I haven't really um, thought about it hugely deeply before. Um, I mean, sometimes people say that there's kind of an Ulsterisation of Scotland a little bit in recent years with the chat about independence in Scotland and uh, and the rest of the UK, but I, I don't really know how far that actually um, that actually reaches. I mean, there, there's quite a large shared history and, and that kind of thing, and lots of migration between the two the two nations of the UK. But um, yeah, hopefully, it does give some perspective. And uh, I was part of that first generation after the uh, born kind of around the time of the Good Friday Agreement, mm-hmm. and grew up in relative peace. So I suppose that does give a perspective um, to, to Scotland, which didn't go through that. Mm. I guess it makes you that little bit more removed maybe I guess emotion can be a really good thing in public policy but I guess also allows you to be a bit more neutral at times uh, potentially yeah I guess um and yeah I, I suppose for for the job that we do that's yeah that's helpful um so I know last week you were involved in a day of prayer can you just tell us a bit about that yeah it was a really exciting day um so we had a day of prayer uh, for Scotland with our member churches and organizations in Scotland in Stirling so kind of in the in the centre of Scotland, historic, um, lots of history there for um, for Scotland as well. Um, we felt it was time to um, bring our members together. Um, there's been a lot going on in Scotland over the past 
at WeWhile. Um, there's a lot of issues that um, policymakers are having to deal with around cost of living and, and many other issues. And we thought it was a really good time to bring, um, <clears throat> bring our members together. We had everyone in the same room and then we kind of split into different groups and, and we prayed. So we heard from uh, Glasgow City Mission, Tear Fund, Christians Against Poverty, uh, the Christian Medical Fellowship, the Christian Police Association, uh, Home for Good, and um, the RCCG is our kind of church representative to hear about different issues that are going on in Scotland at the minute and to, to lead us in prayer for them. So it was a really encouraging day for, for unity and building those relationships. Um, we also as well in the afternoon had a time where we prayed for the different regions of Scotland as well. So um, people might, might be aware that the geography of Scotland um, is quite different across the um, Highlands and Islands and the Central Belt and the borders and there's different issues therefore that that, that churches and communities um, have there. So um, so it was good for people to make connections as well and to um, do, do further work going forward. Mm. So, yeah. Okay, so on to public policy. What do you feel like is the biggest policy issue kind of in your in your hands at the moment? <clears throat> yeah, we kind of said with these questions before. I, I, I definitely can't nail down to one most important issue, but but one issue I thought it would be really good to chat about here is something that people might not be as aware of. Um, it's our work around uh, commercial sexual exploitation of women and girls. Um, this is a, a law that th- this is a policy that is is currently the law in uh, Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, as well as um, quite a few other countries, which we are working with other campaign groups as well to um, to, to advocate for change in the law around this issue. Um, we're part of a cross party group in the Scottish Parliament as well, which is led by a few MSPs, and we've heard some quite harrowing testimonies of of, of survivors of, of prostitution and, and trafficking, and um, it's it's an issue that. Is never really that high in the political agenda um, for various reasons, I guess. There always seems to be more important issues or, or whatever. But we actually think that that's not really good enough and that that should change. And we had a campaign around uh, December time, at where, which we um, did with another organisation and had a kind of open letter that we sent to the government and, and met with um, MSPs off the back of it to kind of encourage them to think about, well, if you, if you criminalise the purchase of sex, if you educate people about... Um, about prostitution and about um, what it actually means to purchase access to a woman's uh, body and and the the dire consequences that that has in society. Um, that's something that can be changed in the Scottish Parliament. So so that's what um, yeah that's one issue. Because that that's the big change you're looking for, right? Who would be criminalised when it comes to prostitution? Yes. So so tackling the commercial sexual exploitation of women and girls through um, criminalising the purchase of sex, therefore deterring human trafficking, mm-hmm. deterring. Um, people from from doing from men from doing that, um, and and also kind of changing the culture, which has been happened in Sweden and and, and many mm. other places as well. Yeah, that's really important stuff. Thanks so much, Chris. We'll have you on again soon. I promise. Thanks, Jim. Next, we have Dawn and Danielle from the team in Northern Ireland. Hello. Hello, Joe. This is going to be such a colourful podcast with so many different accents. It's fantastic. Um, so Danielle McElhinney is the Northern Ireland Public Policy Officer and Dawn actually runs a whole kind of sub-organisation um, within the Evangelical Alliance called Both Lives Matter and we'll hear about that in just a second. But first, Danielle, um, we've recently talked on Cross Section about how it's been the 25-year anniversary since the Good Friday Agreement. Um, can you tell us a bit about the political climate at the moment in Northern Ireland? I can. Yeah, so 25 years of the Good Friday Agreement, that means that um, we've been celebrating, not celebrating, but marking that there has been peace in Northern Ireland and that we have a political way forward. We have our own governing executive. Um, But that 
is kind of marred because at the minute we don't have a functioning executive. We don't have our lone local government. Um, that's been happening for over a year now. Um, so you can imagine that that's very frustrating for the people of Northern Ireland. It's very frustrating for people like me who work mm. in public policy because really what we have seen is a stop to everything. Um, a stop to Stormont meeting and discussing um, important issues, a stop to any of the policy that they had um, developed. Um, so we're not seeing that delivered. Um, it's just very frustrating for the people of Northern Ireland. Mm. And like you said, it's frustrating for people like you, a public policy officer. But I also know that since government's not been sitting, you haven't just been having a holiday. So what does public policy work look like for you at the moment? Yeah, so it looks slightly different in Northern Ireland than it does for the rest of the EA team here and the advocacy team. Um, definitely, we've had to pivot a little bit because there are no clear policy issues that we can really get our teeth into that are developing, that are moving along. So what we have been focusing on are um, is how we can uh, better advocate for the church and you know where are those points of advocacy that we can work on. And one thing that we've been really working hard on is in the area of uh, poverty mm. and in the last year we have gathered more than 40 groups um, members and non-members um, to gather around the issue of the church and how we're responding to poverty in Northern Ireland and that that's been something that's been really positive and very encouraging for me because I've seen that grow and I've seen the energy of it grow and I've seen that our effectiveness has grown. So um, at the moment we're dealing with the issues around the budget that was announced just a few weeks ago by Chris Heaton-Harris. Um, that is a budget that's really going to affect Northern Ireland for years to come um, and there's just, there's just no money. There's no money to... Um, to develop any of the policy work. There's been a real cut to public funds for public services and that's really having an effect, the worst effect on those who live in poverty, those who are most vulnerable. And those are the people that we want to help. Those are the people that we want to champion and we want to draw alongside um, and so we, at the minute we're developing how do we respond to that through an open letter, but we're also thinking ahead, so what is it that the church can do? What can we do down the road? How can we help people, not just in changing policy, but in um, how is the church responding? How is the church drawing alongside people? And we want to see people thrive. We want to see people's lives thrive, not just surviving, not just getting by, not just having enough to see them through to the end of the week. So that's a big piece. We're working on a strategy at the moment as a group, um, a short term, a long term, a medium term and a long term strategy of how are we going to do that? And it's exciting. It's exciting to gather and to work together on that. Yeah, I think it really, it cuts to the heart of what we do as an advocacy team because public policy is both um, MP, MSP, MLAs, MLA, MLA facing and engaging our public representatives but it's also equipping the church and individuals to speak up to advocate in their own public life um, so that's really really interesting to hear about and I guess Dawn that comes on to you and Both Lives Matter because that's Oh, you know what? I'll let you tell us about it. Tell us about Both Lives Matter. Oh, no, please don't be more direct. Picking up on what um, Danielle was saying, there are so many connecting points. So um, Both Lives Matter is a campaign that was co-founded 
by the EA in 2017 and many of your listeners won't know it was formed in uh, Northern Ireland primarily for Northern Ireland at a time when abortion law was under significant challenge both legislatively and through the courts Um, and many of your listeners won't know that we had a very different abortion law uh, in 1967 when England, Wales and Scotland changed their law Northern Ireland didn't so when there was liberalised access to um, in GB, there wasn't in Northern Ireland. So that had resulted in more than 100,000 lives being mm. born and living when we launched in 2017. Lives that wouldn't have been there if the abortion law had changed 50 years previously. And there are links to all of that on the Both Lives Matter website, the research and the report that we produced that was actually challenged by um, members of the public and our claim was upheld by the Advertising Standards Authority Mm. for anybody who wants to look at that. Um, But connecting it back to what Danielle was saying, um, government matters, which is why um, as the EA, uh, the campaign sits, I suppose, within advocacy, but across and into mission, and we'll come on to that with the church connection, but without a sitting executive. I think, actually, we haven't had a functioning executive in Northern Ireland for 40% of the time Mm. since the Good Friday Agreement. Um, so our law was changed by Westminster um, over the heads of our own sitting executive and, and uh, without a democratic mandate from the people of Northern Ireland in 2020. Um, and from that season, which then has produced uh, a very different legal framework in Northern Ireland and a regime of abortion provision, which um, I suppose reflects the 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 more the most liberal outworkings mm-hmm. of the GB legislation, then the future of Northern Ireland or the future of the messaging of Both Lives Matter actually bears greater significance, I think, across the UK mm-hmm. because legislatively um it's very similar and the outworkings socially um are similar uh, and then the impact on the church and the need for the church to respond in word and deed then it's a similar message across the UK. So as a campaign, we our name says it all. Well, yeah, I was going to say, just tell us. Yeah, are you, right. People might work it out from mm. the name, but for those that don't, don't know, what distinguishes Both Lives Matter from perhaps other pro-life organisations that people might have heard of? Well, when we started in 2017, there wasn't really an idea for a new campaign or organisation. Um, but we realised as we engaged in this space and as I engaged in this space, um, as soon as you speak into the abortion space from a position that would be for the life of the unborn child, you're put in an anti-woman mm. and religious nutcase box. And the conversation is very polarised. It gets very difficult, contested. People lob stones. And we had seen, I suppose, looking across to GB, and, and maybe elsewhere in the world, we'd seen how um, either the conversation is deadened, it just mm. is silenced, or it becomes more and more politicised in a really unhelpful, polarised way. So we wanted to avoid that. We wanted to um, reflect that there are two lives, at least in existence in every pregnancy. So being for the life of the unborn child requires you to be for mm. the, the life and health and well-being of the woman because this is a uniquely woman um, experience and it reflects a woman's biology, fertility, her design. So you have to speak for both. You can't speak just for one. Mm. Um, And looking at a pro-choice 
or abortion culture that has developed in GB when the law has said yes to abortion nearly in an unrestricted way we saw more and more that a tug of war had developed um, that put women at war with their own bodies, at war with their unborn children, at war with men um, and there was so much good that could be spoken into that argument, into that tug of war that implies that for one life to live one must sort of hit the dirt, you know, mm. lose and so we speak into this conversation with a voice that always speaks for both lives so it's not a matter that one must lose for one to live and thrive both deserve to live and thrive together so we have a, a trinitarian message where we advocate for laws that recognize and protect both lives we advocate for services that enable both lives and a culture that affirms both lives so in our vision statement we imagine a place where women and children live and thrive together mm -hmm. and we create a society where we support them so that's what we want to do and when it comes to a policy space we speak into um, all of the connected policies that impact on a woman's perception of her ability to continue in her pregnancy so whether that's poverty whether it's access to childcare. so yes in a policy space we talk into the connected issues it's not just about saying no to abortion we want to say yes to both lives and in the church space we want to really speak into the church in a way that um, strengthens the understanding of the human dignity of women and mm. unborn children and of the men that mm. obviously are part of the creating um, of the new life. We want to um, speak about the, actually the, the dignity which comes from being made in the image of God and... That's the God unborn. Yes. Is that launched? Well, so we launched, we did a soft launch this year, in March this year, that we want to really build upon. So it was an understanding, um, actually, where does our understanding of the inherent value, mm. dignity and worth of the unborn child come from? That the unborn child is made in the image of God, and that sort of light bulb moment that we had was like... Oh, like literally God chose to come as an embryo mm. and what that means mm. it was intentional so in doing so we can truly say that every unborn child bears the image of God from conception so what does that mean for God's understanding of the value of that unborn child and then how does that or how is that reflected and how we regard that unborn child and the mother that is carrying mm. um, her or him. So speaking into both lives um, in an advocacy sense and in a missional sense, because to God, both lives matter. So they do to us too. Thanks so much, Dawn and Danielle. Thanks, Joe. Thank as always, you can follow us on social media to keep track of what the entire advocacy team is doing, both those you hear regularly on the podcast and beyond. You can follow us on Twitter at EAUK News and on Instagram Evangelical Alliance. And you can email in cross.section at EAUK.org. We actually had some interesting emails last week um, all around the coronation, which I'm sure we'll pick up in a future episode. I'm now joined by Nicola Martin, Public Policy Officer for Westminster, and Nathan Sadler, um, Public Policy Officer for Wales. Um, lovely to have you both here. Good afternoon, Hans and Joe. 
Hello, no. Joe. <laughs> what, are you not going to speak in Gaelic? Gaelic. Gaelic. Oh, I knew I was going to get it wrong. Um, yes, Nathan is a fluent Welsh speaker. Um, thank you for impressing us so early on in your cross-section in debut. Um, so I lumped you two together. Um, that's not the most flattering word, but that's what I've done. Um, and I wonder if you could answer that question first for those who might um, know a bit less about how policy and the law works across the UK. Why is it so often when there's a new piece of legislation or something's announced in the news, it says for England and Wales? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Wales is a devolved nation, but not devolved fully. So the main reason we see it's often research pieces that's England and Wales, that's because we share the same legal system. So in Wales, education, health, transport, environment, uh, agriculture as well, they're all devolved matters. So we have a government uh, in Cardiff that can um, rule with those things. Uh, And then stuff that isn't devolved is, as I say, justice, so crime policing and things like immigration as well. Okay, brilliant. That's really helpful. And, And Nathan, sticking with you, could you tell us what's sort of the biggest issue that you're facing at the moment? Yeah, so in Wales, there's still a little bit of a hangover in terms of uh, the education uh, reform that came in um, last year in schools. So this is the RSE and RVE um, bills. So this is relationship, sexuality, education Mm. and religion, values and ethics. Uh, So schools are currently outworking that gradually um, and it's still um, work that we're picking up in Wales as well. So uh, I'm part of a panel that's actually working with the government now uh, and hopefully helping uh, schools in September to how you know how can we best work this out that um, we as evangelicals in Wales are still happy with this because when it came into schools and when we read the codes for the curriculum we had quite a few concerns um, we weren't really sure if the relationships side of the curriculum uh, being so centred on just the sexual side of relationships uh, was the best thing. And we, we also wanted maybe the majority of those conversations to happen in families with, with parents and child. So that's still being outworked in schools. We're still being, thankfully, come to for advice. We, we have that kind of mm. quite good relationship with government where we, we can speak in. Uh, and yeah, this September, they're especially wanting to uh, discuss some of the guidance for schools around trans issues. Okay, okay. And and for those who don't know, um, public policy officers are the most glamorous members <laughs> of the advocacy team because you get to go into the government buildings, the local government mm. buildings in the different nations. I believe you're going into Senate. Um, is it we next are. week, next month? Next month, yeah, yeah. So uh, as part of the public leader course that happens in all of the uh, different nations um, across EA UK. We have our own little event happening in Wales, excitingly. So June the 28th, uh, there's a tour of the Senate exploring what it means to be a Christian public leader. The public leadership course is a really exciting opportunity, actually. Um, It's aimed at 25 to 35-year-olds, am I right in saying that? Um, And the course is now open for applications. I won't say more about it now, but I will link it on the webpage this week. 
Nicola Martin. Um, Nicola has the good fortune of getting to sit next to me um, however many days a week in the office in London. Um, but how can Christians be getting involved in the advocacy work that we do, in the public policy work that you do? Yeah, so it was interesting earlier you said that the people that listen to the podcast kind of half are members, half are not, roughly. Um, probably one of the best ways to support us in our work and get involved is by being members. Um, what The beauty of what we do at the Evangelical Alliance is represent the voice of evangelicals within the public sphere, within politics. And um, we do that on behalf of our members. So one of the best ways to feel like you're involved in that is to become a member. But then also we... We work on behalf of our members, but we also want to listen to our members so that they influence what we do. So we often will hold um, some level of consultation um, on a very casual, low-key basis um, on our websites. Right now, we've got a couple of um, share your experience um, web pages up, which I'll go into in a second. Uh, we also sometimes call on our members to write to their MPs about issues that are important to evangelicals. Um, yeah, so the, co- the Connect resource, which you know, I'll also mm-hmm. whack that on the web page this week. Great, yeah, the Connect resource really is helpful to um, get us thinking about what issues we should be speaking to our MPs about, and just the the simple ABCs of mm, how to speak yeah. to our MPs or MSPs. MLS and MSs. Yes, exactly. Full set. Yeah. So yeah, keep an eye on our social media on our website to see the way uh, the opportunities that you have to write to MPs and to share your experience. Now going into that share your experience more at the moment um, Nathan's just mentioned in Wales uh, they've been doing work around education in England we're doing the same um, on a number of different issues but one of the issues that the government are the most interested in in at the moment and are going to be holding consultations about and um, doing more research into is the relationship in sex education and schools and gender identity in schools and we want to be speaking in to these issues on behalf of our members informed by what our members experience are Uh, so on the website at the moment we have a share your experience page that's all about relationship and sex education we're asking uh, not teachers well teachers can respond to but parents of children either in primary or secondary to share what their experiences of their children being taught rse in schools um, now we, we've had some responses so far some of them have said their schools do it really well some of them have said they've had a really hard relationship with our school over how they teach RSE and we just want to know what your experience is basically of that as a parent or as a teacher or a carer of any sort and um, yeah we'd love for you to share your experience of, of that with us uh, through the web page but other than that, just basically being in touch with us. We've mm. got an email address you can email us at. We want to hear from you what your thoughts are in our advocacy work, what you'd like us to be working on, all these kind of things. Just be in touch with us, basically. Mm. Well, I've really enjoyed my trip around the nations. <laughs> um, and I think it's really great to, to hear about the issues that are really live um, in our public policy work at the moment. Um, as I said at the start of the episode, it is our advocacy team day and we are now going for lunch. Um, I think I'm going to order fish and chips. Have either of you given it much thought? A good pie, I think. A pie? Oh, that's yeah. a great pub. 
yeah, pub options. So. Um, not sure. Maybe a burger. Maybe some scampi. We'll mm. see. We'll see when we rock up. Well, <laughs> that's what our wait says. Um, thank you for listening to Cross Section, and we will see you next week. Hi, it's Peter here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Cross Section. If you liked it, can I encourage you to click subscribe, review the podcast, share the episode on social media or tell your friends so that they can enjoy it too. And don't forget, you can email us at cross.section at eauk.org. See you next time.